2019, we did a story from Bavarian Nordic who won an approval for Reginios, their smallpox vaccine, that was also approved as the first world's first ever monkeypox vaccine. That has obviously put the company in the spotlight during the current outbreak. That's my colleague, Eric Saganowski, an editor here at Fierce Life Sciences. Later, we'll hear more from him about monkeypox and who is working on vaccines. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is the top line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. This episode is brought to you by GoodRx and RBC Capital Markets. Today is Friday, May 27th, and we want you to get involved. Later, two of our editors, Annalie Armstrong and Ben Adams, will tell us how you can help determine who will make our exclusive Fierce 15 list and why that matters. It turns out it's more than just a list. In the meantime, stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. When unnamed Bloomberg sources said that Dexcom is in talks to buy Insulate, stock prices went wild. Here's Andrea Park with the numbers. It's been a slow year for medtech mergers so far. A huge one may be in the works. Anonymous sources told Bloomberg that Dexcom is reportedly in talks to buy Insulate, a fellow giant in the diabetes technology industry. Both Dexcom and Insulate declined to comment on the matter. Senior PR staff from both companies told me in emails that they don't comment on rumors or speculation. Even without confirmation from the companies, their stockholders jumped into action. On Monday, after Bloomberg's article on the supposed merger, Dexcom's stock price plummeted about 9% in after-hours trading. Insulate's stock zoomed in the opposite direction, growing more than 7% by Tuesday morning. Stockholders seem to have their own ideas about who wins and loses if the deal goes through. But another winner could be the people who rely on Dexcom and Insulate's devices to keep track of their blood sugar and insulin. Omnipod insulin pumps are already programmed to work with Dexcom's continuous glucose monitors. With a buyout, the companies could potentially combine their tech under one umbrella, allowing patients to manage their diabetes with an all-in-one system rather than having to sync up devices from multiple makers. Biohaven has come up short. Their first clinical trial, since they sold their company to Pfizer, didn't go as planned. Here's Max Bayer. Biohaven's moneymaker was its migraine program, but they sold it to Pfizer weeks ago. Now, the company is already aching after its post-migraine clinical plans got off to a bumpy start. Biohaven announced this week that the Phase 3 med, Trorilazole, failed to slow the onset of spinocerebellar ataxia. The genetic disorder causes a slow progression of gait and coordination problems. The team hoped that patients who took the drug would see a slower onset of these symptoms compared to those who took a placebo. But that didn't happen. Now, Biohaven's leaders are looking to its phase 3 ALS therapy, called Verdiperstat, to recreate that success. But CEO Vlad Chorich is already hedging, touting an earlier stage epilepsy drug acquired in February as having commercial potential. Even in light of the failure, the company still plans to take the data from the Trorilazole study to regulators in an attempt to move the program forward. The biggest cancer conference of the year will be held in person June 3rd to 7th in Chicago. Here's Annalie Armstrong to tell us more. Calling all cancer nerds, the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting is back in action. Thursday afternoon, we got a sneak peek at what will be a buzz at the conference. J&J and Legend have some new data on Carvicti, their bone marrow cancer CAR-T therapy. 
The data showed that it shrank tumors in heavily pretreated patients when given as an earlier line treatment. That's not all from J&J on this disease. The healthcare giant is rolling out data on two earlier therapies. For teclistimab, J&J has found that the overall response rate is holding up at 14 months. For another cancer drug, telketimab, J&J will show much earlier phase one data linking it with a response rate of 70% in heavily pretreated patients. Novartis is hoping to turn an accelerated non for Semblex into a full approval in chronic myeloid leukemia. They have new data showing the therapy triggered a major molecular response in 38% of patients. That beats Pfizer's approved med, Bozalif, which recorded only 16%. Johnson & Johnson will present clinical data at the ASCO annual meeting on their cancer treatment, Balversa. The data shows that it could trigger responses in a wide range of cancers bearing a certain biomarker. Here's Angus Liu with the details. Most cancer drugs are approved to treat tumors by their locations. But the FDA has in recent years cleared therapies that can be used for all tumors bearing a genetic biomarker, regardless of their origins. Johnson & Johnson's Janssen now hopes its Belmersa, or Erdofitinib, could be the next pan-tumor treatment. The company will present their latest data at the 2022 ASCO annual meeting. It will show that Velversa shrank tumors in 26% of 178 patients with cancer bearing a certain biomarker called fibroblast growth factor receptor alterations, or FGFR alterations. Investigators recorded responses across 14 tumor types, including bile duct, brain, breast, lung, pancreatic, and others. The thing they all had in common were the growth factor receptor alterations. Valversa was approved by the FDA in 2019 for previously treated blood cancer with certain FGFR mutations. Jensen's Mark Wadga said that now Jensen will bring the latest phase 2 data to the FDA to discuss the potential of an application for Valversa as a drug for all types of cancer tumors with FGFR alterations. Last month, my colleague Fraser Kansteiner reported that employees at GSK voted to strike. Their grievance? An incredibly low pay raise. Here's Fraser again to tell us how that played out. GSK is likely breathing a sigh of relief right about now. That's because the UK and Ireland's biggest labor union, Unite, has called off plans for a strike. The union's original complaint? GSK had offered what the union called a derisory pay raise because it was below the UK's inflation rate. After the strike threat last month, GSK got back together with the unionized employees and worked out a better pay offer. GSK media spokesperson, Lindsay Meyer, said that the updated deal consists of a 4.5% increase to base salary, which is backdated. The deal also includes a one-off special award worth one week's pay, which they plan to give all GSK employees. That amounts to about 2% of base salary. The union says it will use the settlement as a stepping stone. In a statement, they wrote that they want to make sure GSK properly rewards its workforce moving forward. One interesting note, GSK offered a 4.5% pay increase, but Unite originally claimed the pay raise was much higher at 10.5%. The union has since removed that number from its announcement. They are now saying GSK offered a significant pay increase. By now, we all know about COVID, 
Vaccine companies are household names. But what about monkeypox? After a short break, editor Eric Seganowski will sit down with writer Max Bayer to talk about the new monkeypox outbreak, why health officials don't seem concerned, and what are the treatment options? As a biopharma professional, you know how difficult marketing your drug has become. Well, GoodRx is here to help. GoodRx is a better way to reach the right audience at the right time. Your brand can connect with millions of qualified patients and providers during the most pivotal moments in their healthcare journey. With over 20 million monthly users, GoodRx provides a trusted platform to help your brand build awareness, offer better access, and remove barriers to adherence. Learn more about the benefits of GoodRx at www.goodrx.com solutions. Hey, Max. We've seen headlines over the last few weeks about a new monkeypox outbreak. People are naturally on edge considering what we've all been through with COVID in the last two years. So to start, can you give me a lay of the land with this new outbreak? Sure thing. I think a lot of folks have seen some headlines about uh, monkeypox. What we know right now is that there are 200 suspected or confirmed cases in Europe and North America. Uh, I believe the latest figures out of the CDC had at least one confirmed case here in the U.S. in Massachusetts, in addition to four other cases of the family of viruses that encompasses monkeypox and smallpox. The CDC says human transmission is possible through large respiratory droplets. They generally can't travel more than a few feet, but this is also a virus that spreads through direct contact um, and body fluids. Of course, as we know with COVID, that spreads significantly through the air in smaller respiratory droplets. With that said, Eric, you know why? Can you just kind of elaborate on why health officials aren't aren't quite as concerned about monkeypox as they are COVID nineteen? I've covered several disease infectious disease outbreaks during my time at Fierce, and each time there was a fear that you know they would become really serious global threats. Um, none of them were anything like COVID, of course. And we've done some stories in the last week where experts don't think monkeypox will rise to that level. COVID was caused by a novel coronavirus, as we know. And in this case, the world already has vaccines and therapeutics. Um, a smallpox vaccine is about 85% effective against monkeypox. So that's already an asset in this fight. And we did a story from Berenberg analyst Xi Cheng Xu who said this virus is less likely to mutate as frequently as COVID because it's a DNA virus rather than an RNA virus. And like you were mentioning, this appears less, much less contagious and typically causes flu-like disease, at least for now. I think one of the interesting things there that you mentioned that is, is a clear uh, difference from COVID is, is there was an immediate search for COVID for any sort of therapeutic benefit. But as you mentioned, that's not the case here. Um, what sort of at uh, our disposal, our collective human disposal, in terms of therapeutics and, and even vaccines that can combat this? I was surprised to go back in our own ar archives and find that in 2019, we did a story from Bavarian Nordic, who wanted approval for Genios, their smallpox vaccine, that was also approved as the first world's first ever monkeypox vaccine. That has obviously put the company in the spotlight during the current outbreak. To start last week, a small European country, not necessarily small, but they were unnamed, a European country signed a deal for supplies of that vaccine. Um, details weren't revealed right away, so we don't know exactly what the deal was. Then this week, the U.S. CDC said it has a small stockpile of the vaccine and is planning to make some doses available. Right after that, the company said it has signed a larger deal, again, with an unnamed country. So because of this larger deal, they had to update their 2022 revenue guidance. They added about 29 million to their guidance. 
On the therapeutic side, we had emergent biosolutions in the process of buying an FDA-approved smallpox oral antiviral called Tembexo from Chimerix. Listeners may recognize Emergent because of their COVID-19 vaccine manufacturing efforts. But aside from their contract manufacturing business, they've been a supplier of medical countermeasures for public health threats for quite some time. And the last thing I'll mention is Sega Technologies T-Pox is produced in both oral and intravenous formulations for smallpox. So that may be another asset in this fight. Now, from the research side, we've seen some headlights recently about monkeypox. So what can you tell us? on the R&D side. Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, sort of that perpetual fear that I think has sort of uh, maintained in society as a result of COVID, I think uh, naturally led there to be questions regarding, you know, how some of the COVID vaccine manufacturers were responding to monkeypox. Pfizer's CEO, Albert Borla, uh, sort of reiterated the points that you had made about lessened transmission of this virus versus COVID. And because of that, you know, I think he, he, he said Pfizer is going to focus on COVID. Uh, they're not going to wade into trying to sort of quickly ramp up development of a, a monkeypox vaccine. Uh, that was not the response of Moderna, which said that uh, this week that they were actually in the preclinical stages of developing a vaccine. Uh, more details are to be revealed there, but, but something about Moderna uh, that separates them from Pfizer is a lot of their early pipeline uh, is really built around their vaccine program. Beyond COVID, they have uh, development of a vaccine for the flu, common cold, RSV. Uh, so it, this is, in essence, sort of right up their wheelhouse uh, to, to be able to tack on um, another potential vaccine using their mRNA platform. Uh, but we'll see, ultimately, uh, how much effort and how much money they put into developing this shot. And then additionally, from the diagnostic standpoint, Roche uh, had said Wednesday, that it was developing test kits to detect this virus. You know, you, you might also recall that that Roche uh, was a leader in COVID diagnostics as well. So they're clearly, uh, you know, entering uh, this market now. People are pretty confident that this won't become a severe threat, but COVID showed us we never really know what's, what's around the corner. So we'll just have to follow this in the days and weeks to come and see where this goes. Yeah, and I think ultimately people need to, uh, frankly, take a little bit of solace, I think, in the fact that this virus has been circulating elsewhere for years, um, which is not to mitigate fear that transmission is expanding. But I don't think we need to have outsized fear just because monkeypox has begun to circulate uh, more in European countries when, as we know, this has been circulating in, in Africa as well. Um, and so I think that's something that people need to just put into adequate context as well. Every year here at Fierce, we compile a list of the 15 best biotechs. But it's more than just accolades. Sometimes, by putting them in the spotlight, a company gets a little more money and interest. And we need your nominations to help us make a decision. That's what's buzzing around the newsroom this week. I talked with editors Ben Adams and Emily Armstrong to find out more about the competition. We'll hear about that after a break. The fast-moving world of biopharma is transforming at a speed never seen before. Stay ahead of the curve with Pathfinders in Biopharma, a podcast series from RBC Capital Markets that takes you inside the changing dynamics of the sector. Hear from biotech CEOs, venture capitalists, and industry-leading investors and gain the perspectives you need to lead today and define tomorrow. Visit www.rbccm.com biopharma 
or check out the latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. I have been getting emails for months asking me, when is Fierce 15 opening up? When can I nominate somebody? When are you going to announce that? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It goes out September. We'll let you know. Like we're not, It's not going to be a big secret when we call for nominations. Nominations are open now. Finally, right? Some of our readers and listeners have been waiting all year for this announcement. The Fierce 15 nominations are open. So I talked with Fierce editors Ben Adams and Annalie Armstrong to get some intel on what they're looking for and how to make your nomination stand out. And with nearly 500 nominations each year, that isn't easy. The nominee has to be, well, it turns out it's, it's hard to define. Somebody who's doing something very different with usually a small but incredibly ambitious team that really wants to take some early science all the way to the finishing line. The best management, which is the best teams, the most diverse teams working on the best science and the best innovation. So a, a truly kind of next gen look at uh, many or all of the disease areas. But what, what we want is kind of early promising science, which is scary for us as editors because we have to make a bet just as much as the investors do on. So, so for us, it's who, who's the team? Um, what are their ideas? What is their science? And how passionate are they about what they're doing? I think that's what I've always tried to look for. Okay, so each year we put out a call for nominations and get tons of responses. Then our journalists, who know this industry well, sift through hundreds of nominations and compile a list of the 15 coolest biotechs out there. And sometimes they get it just right. The biggest one that always stands out was Moderna. Um, obviously going from, I think in 2010 when it first came out, a kind of small biotech taken over by Stefan Bansell a few years ago, who's recently been knighted and pretty much helped stop or at least dramatically slow down the spread of COVID. And I mean, pre-2020, it's not as if they were a tiny startup. They had a lot of backing. But they also had, and it is quite easy to forget a lot of questions swirling around exactly if their tech could work. And well, in 2020, they, they really proved that mRNA really could work, at least in vaccines. So I started doing this in 2016. Last year was my, my last one. So I, and I'm, people will now probably furiously Google this, but as far as I know, I haven't had any major flops. So the nominations open this week. And Annalie told me that the submissions are already rolling in. But before you submit your nomination, it is always helpful to get a few tips right from the judges. I'll give you a little bit of the small print. So the stipulation that we have is that companies must be private and have not gone through an IPO. But last year we had to open that up a bit because the IPO market has been so hot. As of right now, we'd like to keep things to private, but that might be something we re-evaluate depending on kind of what comes in. Um, so all the companies should be pre-commercial, they can be pre-clinical or clinical, they can be anywhere from stealth to some of the later funding rounds. Um, so to nominate, we have a form on our website, uh, you can submit there. Um, and that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. There's a couple of different things to fill out, just kind of explaining why you're nominating the company, who you are. Um, also, also good to note, you do not get an email back from that, but we see them all. And when the excitement of making it onto the Fierce 15 list wears off, that's when the companies really start to realize the value. Often, there's unexpected benefits. I know 
having talked to previous winners before, um, we know that they would get a lot more attention with investors and with the media and are more likely to succeed, more likely to have a stronger second funding round or, you know, even get off an IPO directly as a result of winning the Fierce 15. That's, that's why I always took it very personally in terms of wanting to make sure we got the right companies because, you know, those investor dollars going to those companies might mean that we've you know, helping get a new drug onto the market. Obviously, we, we play a tiny part in that, but I wanted to go to the right people at the right time. Sometimes we'll get 20 or 30 or even 50 votes for the same company, predominantly coming from people within the company. That will not help your vote. It, it has to be, you know, you have to really be working on something truly innovative. Voting multiple times isn't going to get you ahead, but spending some time explaining your reasons for nominating, that's where you're going to make your entry stand out because we read all of it. Please spare my inbox. That's it for The Top Line. I'm senior producer Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. Don't forget to follow The Top Line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.